This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. If we could come back to our seats, please. And uh, if you'd open up your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, If you don't have one, uh, under the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible. If you could pull that out and you just turn to page 559. Uh, that's where we are in 1 Corinthians 14. So we're kind of wrapping up, uh, we're really wrapping up this book in very short order. And uh, we're also wrapping up today five weeks on the topic of spiritual gifts. That's what we've been talking about in chapters 12 through 14. So after this service, uh, I'll be sticking around afterwards. And if you would like to, uh, I do a little Q&A um, after the service, been doing a Q&A on spiritual gifts. So today will be the last day that we'll do that. But as soon as the service is over, I'll be right down here front. And a number of us have gathered down here just to talk about it. You can also text a question in and I'll, that'll be forwarded to my phone. And uh, so if you would like to maybe be anonymous, you can do that if you don't want to raise your hand and whatever. So, but come and, and join in. We, we go about 30 minutes. You can come and go. You can come late. You can leave early, whatever you want to do. But since this is a new topic for many folks in the church, I'm just trying to have some extra time to talk about it and and, uh, help anybody who may have some questions do the best I can with that. Also, we're almost done with this book. So if today's your first Sunday... It's great to have you, but we started this last September. And so, man, 1 Corinthians has been a long time. And uh, we've only got three more messages after today in 1 Corinthians. So uh, I want to let you know what we're going to be doing next. July 30th, uh, we start a new series, July 30th. And the the name of the series is Everyday Gospel. you know, bridging the gap between Sunday faith and daily life. So we're wanting to talk about how does the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does this apply to our regular life? If you think about your life, most of your life, almost all of your life is lived outside this room and outside a worship service. Most of all of our lives, you think about what do you do in life? Well, I sleep, I eat, I work, I have some free time and leisure time. Uh, you know, I have family, I have neighbors, I, uh, I get on social media. I think about just what are the stuff you do? We're going to have a sermon on each of the things I just spoke about. Um, so we're going to talk about how the gospel applies to all of our lives. Um, so we can have an integrated life. Walking with Christ means uh, that I follow him and am empowered by him for all of my life, not just the so-called religious parts of my life. So that'll be a series we'll, we'll take through September. We're also going to do something with that series that I'm, I'm not sure we've done before. Uh, and that's that we're going to have a video uh, series that we're going to do at the same time in our community groups. So I want to encourage you to find or visit a community group um, and uh, be ready to go on the 30th. You can, jo- you can come to one the first time on the 30th if you want. Um, but what we're going to do in each community group, uh, we're going to show a, a brief video called For the Life of the World, which is a creative video that shows how the gospel applies to all of life and how our faith in Christ is for something uh, greater than maybe we even imagined. And uh, that's kind of the theme of the video. So the way we're going to do our community groups is we're going to um, 
uh, we'll talk some about the message like we normally do, and then we'll watch video and talk some about the video. So it'll be a, it'll be a, a, a new uh, format for us for those, for about five meetings. We'll do that for five uh, community group meetings. So if you're not in a group, uh, we have cards out in the Connect Center. You can pick up a card and find out where a group is near you. We'd encourage you to jump into a group. They're open. And this is the time to do it. I mean, normally people think, well, hey, let's start in September. That's back to school. We'll get active then. But life's busy in September. And this gives you a head start. You know, if you start a community group in September, that's like being at the line with, at the race with the other runners at the starting line and the gun goes off and you take off. You come July 30th, you got a 10-yard advance. You're going to get 10 yards out in front of the, goes, uh, the gun goes off. By the time it's September, you are in a group, you are jamming, you've got three meetings under your belt uh, for the Life of the World video and for the sermon series and uh, I can't imagine anything more beautiful. So why don't you, why don't you see about finding a group and jumping in uh, in the end of this month or any time. You can jump in this week. That'd be a great time as well. So that's our next series, Everyday Gospel. Okay, today we're going to finish chapter 14. And let me give a little background. Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts and how the church in Corinth uses spiritual gifts in particular. So in chapter 12, he talked about the various kinds of spiritual gifts and made the point that all gifts matter and that all gifts are to be uh, used in the church. Every gift counts. In chapter 13, he talked about love and really made the point that love is what's preeminent. How we love others is more important than what gifts we have and how we use our gifts. So love is prominent. Then in chapter 14, what he does is kind of a case study where he shows how does love work itself out in particular in how the Corinthians use two gifts, and that is tongues, the gift of speaking tongues, and the gift of prophecy. And in chapter 14, we covered the first 25 verses last week, we see that he really corrects, Paul's really at a place where he has to bring a sort of a gentle correction to the church. Because the church in Corinth, they have a favorite gift, They have a most bestest gift that they like to use the most, and that is the gift of speaking in tongues, and they are misusing it. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that is unknown to the speaker, that is, it's a gift of the Spirit, something the Holy Spirit prompts, that enables someone to communicate with God. So Paul says in the first verses of chapter 14, tongues is speech to God. It's not to people, it's speech to God. And he says that he calls it prayer, he calls it praise, and he calls it thanks in the passage we looked at last week. The problem is that, that, so he says you can speak to God in this way, but if it's used publicly, if you have the gift, if you used publicly, there needs to be an interpretation so people know what's being said. Well, the Corinthians were coming together, all speaking in languages that people didn't know, and it's mass confusion, and no one benefits from that, is what he talked about we saw last week. He says that when you gather, it must be understandable for people to be encouraged, and that's the loving thing to do, is to encourage others. So he talks about that in verses 1 through 25. Gifts must be understandable, and they're not using this gift in an understandable way. Today's passage, verses 26 through 40, he's going to say, when you gather, you must be orderly, in order to benefit other people. That's a loving thing, to use gifts in an orderly fashion in the church, decently and in order. So let's read the passage, then we'll pray, and then we'll just jump in uh, word by word, at least verse by verse, if not word by word, walking through this passage. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, 
When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, let's pray for God's help as we walk through this passage today. Lord, thank you for your word to us and what you have for us today, even as we think about your gifts and as we think about loving others and as we think about what the appropriate way to express gifts are for the love of others and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with the spirit and give me clarity. Uh, This is a passage about clarity and order. So I pray that you would give me clarity to communicate in a way that will build up the, uh, the wonderful folks gathered here at your church. Uh, we pray that you would uh, give us all ears to hear and hearts to respond to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verses 1 through 25, he said, people are not built up by what they don't understand. Verses 26 through 40, what we just read, he's saying people are not built up by disorder. People are not built up by confusion, Look at verse 40. This is really the the heart of this whole section. But all things should be done decently and in order. So his concern is for order when they gather and meet together because order brings clarity. There's a clarity that comes from order. Disorder brings confusion. And when people come to a church gathering and are confused, they're not helped. And it's not loving to confuse people, if you, if you can help it. Um, but if there's a clarity, people are helped and they're loved. And that's why he says things should be done orderly. So he talks about three kinds of order. He talks about orderly tongues, then he talks orderly speaking in tongues. Then he talks about orderly prophecy. And then he talks about orderly authority. And I'll explain that when we get to that. But he talks about orderly authority third. So let's start with tongues, orderly tongues. The chapter begins in verse one with pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we looked at all that last week about how uh, the gift of tongues is used. And here he talks about pursuing love and says that love is ultimately to be expressed in order. And he doesn't leave us guessing what that means. He's going to be very specific to say, this is what an orderly gathering looks like. Okay. So verse 26, he says, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, 
a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So that's very much like chapter 12, where he says, everybody has a different contribution to make. It's like at the potluck. Everybody brings something a little bit different to the table. And he's saying everybody brings a different group, uh, gift. And so when you gather, different people can use their gifts. Now, probably what happened in Corinth was when they gathered uh, for their wor- worship gatherings, they were probably in homes. Some of the homes may have been big. There are big, there were large homes, uh, um, in that time in uh, Corinth and in, in Greece. And so they, they may have been larger homes, but they were probably in a home setting. So it was realistic to expect that each person who showed up could make a contribution. It probably looked, when he's talking about a worship service here, it probably looked more like what we would view as a community group than what we experience on a Sunday morning. Maybe somewhere in between, probably somewhere between a community group and a Sunday morning gathering. Because uh, there's some, some difference. When we gather, we can't have, on a Sunday, we have number, you know, several hundred people here. We can't have hundreds of people all speaking. Um, and it would just go on and on. But we can do that in a smaller setting. And that is the goal of our small groups, for everyone to participate. So that's what he's talking about. Everybody can participate. Verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So we looked at quite a bit of detail last week about the gift of tongues. And what we learned was that it seems like they are all speaking in tongues. He's saying he has to limit it. He has to put a lid on their practice of tongues. And he says, this is a shocker, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue. I mean, he's saying, hey, it's not a given that this would happen. I mean, if this were to happen, If there is a tongue when you gather, uh, that's a shocker to them because the way we read those first verses, it would seem like every week that happens. And it would seem like it happens to most with many in the congregation speaking in tongues. But he has to say, if it happens at all, okay, only two. Okay, three. At the most three is what he says. Two, or I love that language, or at most three. And each in turn. I mean, you can't do it at the same time. One person And then uh, this sounds very basic, right? One person talks and then another. And there has to be an interpretation. Uh, That is what is communicated to the Lord in a language unknown. Someone has to have the gift of being able to interpret that. So do they really need this kind of detail? It really reads like boys and girls, only two, and then one at a time. That's really what it reads like. But they do need that. I mean, look back at verse 23. Uh, He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? So likely this is what's happening. They're all talking, speaking in tongues. And and he's saying, if somebody comes in, they're not going to say, wow, what must I do to know your Jesus? They're going to say, these folks are crazy. That's what someone's going to say. And so he is concerned about that. There must be interpretation and it needs to be limited, if at all, is what he says. If the Lord gives that gift for the public assembly. Verse 28, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. If no one's present who can interpret, that's a spiritual gift. Uh, If there's no one to do that, then the person should just sit there and speak to himself. Uh, He says, let him uh, keep silent and speak to himself 
and God. So he shouldn't speak in tongues out loud. He should speak privately to God because the concern is building up the church. And Paul's saying uninterpreted tongues doesn't build people up. It confuses them. Uh, People speaking on top of each other at the same time doesn't build people up. It confuses them. And these gifts may showcase an individual, but the goal is not showcasing people who have a certain gift that everyone's enamored with in Corinth. But but what what we want to do is build people up. That's loving. So that's orderly tongues. Next, he goes to orderly prophecy. We talked about last week as we looked at this passage that prophecy is speaking something that the Lord gives to a person. The word literally means to speak for. And so the implication is that one is speaking for God in the sense that the Lord has given, brought something to their mind, impressed something on their heart, something like that. And the purpose of it is verse 3, 14, 3. The purpose is the one who prophesies speaks for people's upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So the purpose of a prophecy If someone shares something that the Lord put on their heart, on their mind, um, it must build people up. Okay? It should encourage them. That means to come alongside. It should be the Lord coming alongside and strengthening someone or comforting someone. So he says this gift is is speech that's um, empowered by the Lord, that's understandable, and that has a very clear purpose. Upbuilding, encouragement, and comfort. That's what he says. Now, does he limit the number of prophecies in the same way? Let's look at it. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So someone could share a prophecy, they could do two or three, and then it needs to be weighed, evaluated, considered, applied, that sort of a thing. Um, So do you have to stop at two or three, like speaking in tongues? I don't think so, because look at what he says, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one. I'm just reading exactly what the text says there. You could all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Or look back at verse 24. He says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. So I think what he's saying here is two or three could speak, but it needs to be evaluated. It needs to be weighed. In other words, don't have 20 people say something and there's no application and there's no thought and there's no consideration. It's just running on and on. That's not going to serve the church. So two at the most three, weigh what's said. But he, he builds it, he at least states it twice, all can, it could be done conceivably, God could give multiple people to speak in this way. It's important to note here that the prophecies are weighed as well. There's several places in this passage that, that help us see that what he's talking about here is not like Old Testament prophecy that is authoritative. We have bo- books of the Bible that are authoritative, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the minor prophets, Micah, Joel. Um, it, it's not talking about the same thing here, that people are standing up in Corinth and speaking the very word of God. And I'll try to point out two or three times in this passage where I think that's implied. They aren't speaking inerrant authority authoritative words like in the Bible. And one reason is because it has to be weighed. You don't weigh Jeremiah. You don't weigh Isaiah. You obey them. They are the word of God. But here he's saying, hey, kind of evaluate what's being said. There needs to be a weighing or evaluating. So who does this weighing? Verse 29, let them speak and then weigh what is said. 
Well, at one level, everybody weighs what is said. As I'm teaching today, you should be weighing it. You shouldn't say, well, the guy's got a wooden stand and he's got a, a business card that says pastor, so I guess whatever he said is true. Absolutely not. You should be weighing what I'm saying and saying, is that in the text? Let me look at the, does the text say that? Whoever's standing up here and teaching or exhorting during our singing or whatever it is should all be evaluated by scripture. So everybody weighs. I think in a specific way, though, when, when a word is shared and it's to be applied to the congregation or to be responded by the congregation, probably elders weigh in a specific way. Well, they, W-E-I-G-H in a specific W-A-Y. Uh, there's a specific manner in which I think elders weigh uh, prophetic words. And, and the reason I say that is because Timothy, in 1 Timothy, Paul says that elders are to direct the affairs of the church. Elders or pastors are given a charge um, to bring leadership. And one of the primary things they do in a church is to filter out or to evaluate the difference between truth and error sound doctrine and heresy. And if you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy a lot of, hey, Timothy, the elders in the church there, in that church, they are to ensure that you don't have false people speaking false things, teaching false doctrine in the church. And if they do, the, the elders should be leading basically in disciplining people who come into a church like wolves in sheep clothing and teach false doctrine. Matter of fact, elders kind of help provide a gateway of protect, I mean, a protection around the gates of the church, put up the gates of the church. So if somebody's sharing something that's not true, uh, they're to be told that's not true. And if they persist, they're to be put out of the church. So elders have responsibility. Everybody has a responsibility to say, is this true or not? And weigh it and evaluate it. But elders have responsibility, pastors, shepherds for the whole church to ensure that the doctrine and the teaching of the church is true. This is so important. And uh, so in a special way, they are to weigh and to evaluate what someone shares with their spiritual gifts. We said they're not scripture quality words, but they are are to be evaluated by scripture and they are to be weighed. Here's what we found on this sort of thing. It's easier to weigh something that's going to be shared with the church on the front end rather than on the back end. It's a lot cleaner to have someone stand up and say something to the church that is off heretical and then to stand up and say, brother, we love you, but that was nonsense. Now, next, I mean, you know, that's a little, it's a little awkward for everybody, for the guy who may have been sincere and said something goofy uh, for the guest. Wow, man, they're just shooting people down publicly around there. So here's how we do. We do believe this gift is for today, um, a gift of prophecy. And so we have a mic down front. This happened in the first service this morning. Somebody came and shared something. We have a mic down front. I was there today. Rob will be there next week at that mic. And um, so if you feel like the Lord has given you, put something on your heart, let me just explain how this works. Um, maybe this will be very helpful. And it's just how we seek to obey this scripture of weighing it. You can come down and share that uh, with one of the pastors. And we don't know everybody here, so we don't have open mic Sunday where anybody can just stand up. Well, we don't believe that people can just from the congregation shout messages out to the church um, freely. Uh, we believe that we're responsible to ensure what is communicated in this gathering is true. So we would say you can come down and share something with us. Hey, the Lord's, I feel like put this on my heart to share with the church. What do you, what do you think? And you come down and we'll wait. Sometimes we might talk together, a couple of pastors, uh, to see what we think about sharing that with the congregation. Um, 
that also allows us to do things, what does he say, verse 40, decently in order. There's an orderliness to the service. And there may be a place in the, after a song or before a prayer to insert something unplanned that's spontaneous. Again, that happened in the first service, but there's a decency and order to that. Someone screened it, so to speak, or weighed it before it was shared with the congregation. Now, you should still weigh it. So there's weighing on the front end and the back end. You should still weigh it. But that, that's, that's what, the way we have found to do it. Interestingly, historically in our church, we had a lot more people sharing things on Sunday mornings than we currently have. No one did that this morning, for instance. Um, and I'm praying that the Lord would stir up according to his will as he desires, stir up that gift in those who have that and stir up others of us who have never thought of ourselves as having that gift that maybe we do would stir us up. But I want to tell you what, how we weigh this, because I want the, hopefully this will bring some security to your heart. Um, that things are being done carefully and uh, would also encourage you to participate if you have something. So first of all, when someone comes up and says something to me in the first service, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I think I have something the Lord put on my heart while I was praying. Uh, okay, what is it? So the first thing we're looking for is, is it biblically true? Is what the person says line up with scripture? If not, we wouldn't have that shared. If so, Great. Secondly, does it fulfill the purpose of prophecy? Is what they want to share upbuilding, encouraging, and comforting? Now, there can be something that's encouraging that you feel slightly adjusted by it. So there can be an adjustment we feel and something still encouraging, but we're not inviting people to come up and diss everyone and bring like condemning judgments on the church. We're not saying, we don't feel like that's what it says. It says encouragement, consolation, and upbuilding. So if somebody says, hey, I got a word for the church, you know, could I just share the Lord is really ticked off at people here. Well, you know what? We're just not going to have you share that. If there's a strong corrective word that needs to be brought to the church, we think that will happen from the teaching of scripture with shepherds applying that to the church and bringing correction so that we can repent together. So there's a time for correcting the church. Absolutely. But I think it should be done by a pastor with a Bible in hand and not somebody, somebody who's a little ticked off and, and, and goes on the internet and fills in the comment section on people's blogs and, and uh, responds in a contrary matter to every Facebook post and thinks this is a live opportunity to do the same. So we're not providing open mic for or disgruntled people to uh, condemn everyone. Uh, next, uh, does the word seem to broadly apply to the church or just the person? I've had people come to me and say, hey, this, I was in my devotions before church this morning and this is what I sense the Lord put on my heart. Well, that may just be something for that person. But other times we might say, boy, I think that really applies to the whole church. This is admittedly very subjective. Um, would you share that? I think that would encourage or strengthen or build up the whole church. Another issue would be, what about the timing of something? Somebody has something, we might say, you know what? That would go well two songs later because that would really fit the theme of the third song today or something like that. We believe the Holy Spirit speaks and leads through planning not just spontaneity. So we pray that the Lord would help us select songs on a particular Sunday that would honor Christ and build up the church. We, all the Bible's inspired, but we pray and try to select specific passages for Bible reading during the singing that will go with the songs and edify the church. We pray for specific things to communicate during communion or baptism. Rob didn't just show up here today during the baptism and say, hey man, I don't know, I'm in the water. Anybody got a verse? I don't know what I should say. He prayed, he thought, and shared something very encouraging. So we believe the Holy Spirit speaks in all of that planning. Um, However, he can at times, the Lord may want to bring something none of us were thinking about. He knows every person here. He knows every need here. We don't. The people that planned the service didn't know 
we don't know our own hearts half the time, much less every need of, I'm joking, every need of every person in the whole church or who would be gathering as a guest. So sometimes we feel like the Lord might bring something that would encourage a group of people that we weren't even thinking about or strengthen a group of people that we weren't even planning for. So that happens sometimes. Um, Sometimes maybe there's just a subjective sense, hey, maybe this isn't really for today and we might ask a person to hold. So many of you have seen this. In the past, we've had more people coming down and we're wide open to that continuing and increasing. But sometimes we would, uh, someone may come up and talk to a pastor and then they may go back to their seat. So what do I think if I see that happen? Should I think, wow, they must have gone up and shared, whispered a heresy in the pastor's ear and the pastor said, get thee behind me. And they had to go back to their seat. Is that what's going on? Wow, that person, should I really look down on that person? No, here's what you should assume about that person. You should assume, first of all, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, they eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. They're obeying 1 Corinthians 14, 1, and they are obeying 1 Corinthians 14, 39, eagerly desire to prophesy. That is a tangible, I don't know their heart, but I assume that's a tangible expression of obedience to the Bible. So I first should be saying, wow, they're seeking to obey the Bible. That's my assumption, and I should leave it at that, because I don't know what they said beyond that. It may be they said something amazing. Here's my experience over the years. I have had on numbers of occasions, I can't tell you how many times in the last, uh, I don't know, 20-something years, uh, I've been doing this, preaching on Sunday mornings. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me and say, the Lord just burdened my heart. Could I, I want to share something with you. And do you think that I should share this with the church? And they will give me an exact point in my sermon. It's one of my points. I'm like, oh, wow, that's point number 2B. That's in the sermon. They don't know the text. They don't know the theme. They haven't seen my sermon notes. They have no idea. And I'll say to them, Unbelievable. That's exactly one of the things I'm talking about today. So here's what I'd like to do. Maybe I have them share. Maybe we say, you know what? When I get there, I am going to camp on that. And you better believe I got fire in my bones when we come to point 2B because a stranger, not a stranger, someone had no idea what I was going to say, come up and said, I think the Lord wants to say this today. And I'm going, wow, I've been thinking about that all week. Wow. And so that's encouraging. So the most specific, accurate, encouraging, powerful thing that could become up, you know, could be shared at the mic, didn't make it to the mic, but it made it to the congregation. I feel like maybe that was just an encouragement for the preacher. So that may be going on. So if somebody comes up and goes, they may be saying, they may be coming up and whispering, hey, there's a car in the parking lot with its lights on and here's the license plate. You don't know what they're saying. So just don't, let's just make it easy to walk up and easy to walk back without the whole church going, oh, heretic. You know, let's just get, let's get over that and say, they may be knocking it out of the park in terms of honoring the Lord with their heart and with a stellar accuracy at detecting the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And it showed up in point two B. Okay. So let's make it easy and not difficult. Like if I go up there, what happens? Am I going to get rejected? Um, and here's the other case. It may be the pastors made a mistake. Yes, it happens regularly. Uh, Maybe the pastor at the mic thought, no, I don't think that's for the whole congregation. Maybe he was wrong. But you know what? Since we don't believe prophecy is the very word of God, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but it's to be evaluated by the very word of God, no one has to worry that 
man, you missed it. We missed the very thing God wanted to say. Now nobody heard the Lord. No, we're going to have a sermon. It's going to be okay. Everybody's going to hear the Lord. The pastor may have missed it. We all, I don't care if your gift's administration, teaching, leadership, mercy, none of us execute those gifts perfectly. Pastors make mistakes. Maybe the pastor, maybe the person walking back is like, wow, that's a person in tune with the spirit and the pastor missed it. That's possible. So that's just helpful to bear all that in mind. Um, Know that we take it very seriously and we take a conservative approach. It must be true. And we want to lead in a way that's decent and in order because orderliness builds people up and that's loving. Uh, Okay, he goes on, verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So perhaps people in this church were long-winded, and I don't know, but he's kind of giving some etiquette. Like, think about chapter 13, love. Let's think about some etiquette. Um, Someone is speaking, and think more home, community group than this, but someone is speaking and someone else has something to share that the Lord put on their heart. The first person can stop speaking and the other person can speak. This is the second evidence in this passage that convinces me without a doubt. These are not scripture quality words that are being communicated. Some people say that I don't believe in the gift of prophecy because they were speaking the very word of God. Seriously. So someone could stand up and speak the very word of God. And we could just say, Hey, put a lid on it. Somebody else has got something over here. Let them share. If someone's speaking the very word of God, we better be transcribing it and hanging on to it because it's got authority, but they're not doing that. These are the Corinthians after all. Paul says their meetings do more harm than good is what he says to them. They are an immature group of people that, that have a lot of the Holy Spirit's gifts. God is blessing them with gifts and they're misusing them. So what's he saying here? He's saying, look, if someone's speaking, this isn't like we all got to, you know, it goes on a long time. Somebody else can participate. Why? Because love says everybody can have something to bring. And this guy shouldn't, or gal, shouldn't be dominating with their gift. And then he says this, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So if the prophetic guy over here is speaking and the elder says, excuse me, someone else has a word, they're they're, going to participate as well. He can't just keep going and saying, I don't know, the Holy Ghost took over. I couldn't stop. I just had to keep talking, you know. No, you are, your spirit is subject to you. God is not, you know, you're not in a prophetic trance with the Holy Spirit channeling the very word of God from you. You can close your mouth. Thank you for what you shared. We have someone else now that's going to share it. That can all happen. Here's what I love about this. This so demystifies the spiritual gifts. Paul, Paul so demystifies it. He talks about things like how many people can speak in tongues. Let's get a count. He talks about how many people can prophesy before there's some serious weighing and considering of how do we apply this. He talks about what if one guy's really going on and on and on. What do you do? Be quiet and let someone. So practical. He just demystifies all of this kind of stuff. It's not some ethereal, hocus-pocus spirit thing. It's really pretty natural the way this is. It's, it's supernaturally gifted, but it's pretty natural the way this is all happening in the church. The Holy Spirit's not forcing people to prophesy. So you can't use God as an excuse. You've got to love others and let them share. You've got to get out of the way and prefer others. That's love. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point is, verse 33, he says, uh, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Why shouldn't we just, 
Why should we be acting this way when we gather? Because it's confusing. If one guy's speaking and he's going on a long time and someone else just inserts themselves and we got dueling prophets, that's confusing. We got multiple people speaking in tongues, no interpretation, that's confusing. And the reason Paul says that's not good is because it's not loving, but here's what's more important. It doesn't look like God. Our God is a God of peace, not confusion. And so here's his point. This is a side point, but it's very important. He says the worship of God is to reflect the character of God. Does your worship, he's saying, Corinthians, does it look to the Corinthians, does it look like God? If someone walks in, would they go, wow, God is so peaceful. No, they'd say, you're mad, it's confusing, what's going on? Why are two people talking at once and one guy's getting louder? And why are people talking in languages I don't understand? And what, th- I don't get this. Nobody would walk in and say, this is peaceful. So he's saying it should be done, if it's done orderly, there's peace. God is a God of peace. And so your worship should look like the character of God. And I started thinking about that and, and, and I thought, you know, we should ask this question, does, my worship, does our worship as a church, but also does my personal worship reflect God's character? When I worship the Lord on Sundays, would I say that the way I worship re- reflects this is what God is like? So for instance, God's a God of peace, but the fundamental fact about God in the Bible is that God's a God of holiness. So do the way, is the way I worship, does it reflect that God is holy? Well, what would that look like? Well, first of all, it would be reverent. I wouldn't be flippant about God, but there'd be a reverence because he is holy. He is holy. Secondly, uh, am I reverent? Number two is, I would say, am I punctual? You know, I can saunter in carelessly whenever I want to the Rangers game. And it just doesn't matter because the Rangers aren't holy. They're not even good, but they're not, not this year. But they're not holy. I'm not coming before God. I'm coming for, as a consumer to be entertained, and I can do whatever I want. I can come and go how much I want. But if I'm coming to meet with the holy God of the universe, the God who spoke and everything came into existence, I probably want to come punctually. I probably want to come with my heart prepared, thinking I'm going to encounter God. I want to think about that. I want to prepare my heart. I probably want to come with as little distraction as possible that I focus. I may want to pray before the service and think about God, encounter God. I might, if I know what the scripture is going to be, I might want to read the scripture ahead of time so that I'm coming to meet with God. Am I prepared? God is holy. Here's another one. We worship a God of grace. Grace means that I don't deserve to be here, but God has saved me by mercy. Jesus died for my sins so I can be here to worship him. So what would worshiping a God of grace looks like? Well, it would be joyful like, wow, look what he's done for me. There's an overflowing joy in my heart. So can you be holy and joyful? Absolutely. Or can you be reverent and joyful? Would be a better way to say it. Joyful. Another one would be thankful. He's done all of this for me. Do I worship as one who just says, I've heard this before and kind of presume upon God and take him for granted? Or am I one who worships and says, Lord, I cannot believe what you've done for me. I am thankful. A heart of thanksgiving. Is my heart free? Would someone, if they encounter me, say, boy, that person has a real freedom before the Lord. It seems like they, that, that, like someone who was in chains, bound to sin, but now has been free, and there's a joy and a gratitude. So those are just two categories. God is holy. God is grace. 
I challenge you to think about when you read the Bible, what is a category of God's character and how does my worship and discipleship reflect that? How does my life reflect that? And then how does our gathered worship reflect that? Our worship is to reflect a true understanding of God. Lastly, orderly authority, orderly tongues, orderly prophecy, orderly authority. Uh, verse 33, God is not a confusion, God of confusion, but peace. As in all the churches of the saints, verse 34, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now that's honestly a head scratcher, right? It's a bit of a head scratcher. What, what does he mean there? Well, does he mean by silence that there's to be an utter absence of sound? from any female in, in the congregation. If so, then chapters 12 through 14 and all the gifts that are mentioned would be exercised largely by males only. Is that what is in view? Um, whenever you come to a text that you, you scratch your head and go, I wonder what that means. It's helpful to look at other places in the Bible and say, do I see the same truth being expressed in other places in the Bible? So he's talking about prophecy and he says that, in, in, uh, and then he's talking about silence of women in the churches. So let's think about Acts 2. Acts 2 is a significant passage of scripture where it's the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church and a bunch of people speak in tongues, but a bunch of people also prophesy. And then Peter stands up on the birthday of the church, Acts 2, Pentecost Sunday, significant event in church, not in church, in salvation history. And Peter stands up and says, what's going on here with people speaking in tongues and prophesying? What's happening here? We knew about this in the Old Testament. Joel the prophet in the Old Testament said this, when the new covenant comes, that's after Jesus and there's a new covenant, when the new covenant comes, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's what he says. And lest we didn't get that, he then in verse 18 says it again. He stresses, he quote, even on my servants, both men and women. So let's just say, who are God's servants? Men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So at, this, at the birth of the church, at, the, at, at a moment in salvation history, Peter stands up and doesn't say, hey, guess what, guys? Now it's okay for women to prophesy. He actually stands up and says, this is a definitive evidence that the new covenant's here. You wanted to know when the new covenant's here? Well, Jesus died for our sins. He wrote, is buried and he rose and you killed him, Peter says to the, those who were there, and you need a savior. So the Messiah has come to save us. That's the major point of salvation history. But then he will pour out the whole Holy Spirit on all believers. And so he says, you want to know what a definitive sign is that we're in a new age, the age of the church, the age of Jesus Christ, the age of the new covenant, men and women are prophesying. That's a sign. So that's, that's huge. Not only that, in this very letter, Paul says that women prophesy. Look at chapter 11. Uh, if you'll remember this, this was a passage where he talked about how husbands and wives are to participate in the worship service. In that culture, married women wore head coverings to demonstrate that they were, um, that they were married and that they, there was a level of submission to their husband. So they wore those in the church. And he said this, verse four, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head. Verse five, I mean, 11, five, just three chapters earlier. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her 
head uh, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. I taught on that whole passage. You can go to the website, look under our resources, 1 Corinthians 11. I did a whole sermon on how do husbands and wives relate. That, that's, I don't need to rehearse all that. All I want to say is that in chapter 11, Paul says this, when you get together, women pray in the church and women prophesy. So here's the way you need to do that, that so that it will reflect appropriate marriage relationship for married women. So it's a sign of the new covenant. Paul says it's already happening and he doesn't correct it at all. And now he says they're to keep silent. How do we approach that? Well, here's how I think we approach it. We look at the word silent and we don't even have to leave this passage to see Paul uses the word silent three times in the same passage. And we can understand what he's saying about wives here when we understand what he said in the previous verses. So look at 14 where we are, verse 28. Verse 28, but if there, he's, this is the, when he's talking about tongues, if there's no one to interpret the tongue talk, the tongue speaker, let each of them keep silent, same language, in the church and speak to himself and to God. So what's he saying? If someone has a tongue and there's no one present, he should keep silent. Does that mean he can't sing? Does that mean he can't read a scripture? Does that mean he can't greet someone? Does that mean he can't say, God bless you if someone sneezes? Does that mean he can't prophesy? No, it means he can't speak in tongues. He has to be silent with regard to a certain kind of speech. Tongues without interpretation. Look at verse 30. If a, this is prophecy. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. We just talked about that. What does it mean? If someone's prophesying and someone else has a word, let the first person be silent. Does that mean for the whole service, that person then cannot read a scripture, cannot speak, cannot participate. You are in the cone of silence for the whole service at this point. No, it means you have to be silent with regard to a certain type of speech. What type of speech? Prophecy. You need to be quiet prophesying and someone else needs to be able to prophesy. So silent with regard to tongues, not absence of all noise, silent with regard to prophecy and the exact same things being communicated about women. Silent with regard to what kind of speech? Well, look, he says it. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So he's saying women must be silent with regard to unsubmissive speech. They shouldn't speak in a way that would reflect unsubmissiveness, as the law says. Well, where does the law say women can't talk? in any gathering. It doesn't say that, but the law does teach that there is one primary place that a woman is to be in submission, and that is to her husband. Women are not in submission to men. Women in general are not in submission to men in general. Wives um, are to be respectful and submitted to their husbands, and their husbands are to love them as Christ loves the church, so that he's to sacrifice for her, and she is to be submitted and respectful to him. So, a wife, and that's why he says they should ask their husbands at home. He's talking about married women here when he says this. So that would be one. And there is another place where there is submission as well. And that would be in the church to elders. And that would be for men as well. We're all subject to our elders. That would be for the elders to be subject to one another as well. So there's a subjection. There is a submissiveness there as well. So what's going on here? Paul uses the same term in silence, the same context with the same definition. People are to be quiet with regard to a certain kind of speech, uninterpreted tongues, um, prophecy that goes on and on when someone else has a word and unsubmissive speech from 
women or wives in the church. So how would these ladies have been, they can prophesy, Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, how would they have been using unsubmissive speech? There's two primary ways of thought. Um, and the primary thing I want to say is the issue is unsubmissive speech. It's not, but here's my best guess on how it works. There's two primary ways. One is marriage. When they prophesy in 1 Corinthians 11, it says in that culture, a head covering showed you were submitted. So wear your head covering in that culture, that meant something. So that shows you're submitted so that you, you're reflecting something that's appropriate when you prophesy. So it could be they're saying something that is dis, disregarding um, asserting authority over their husbands in some way. That could be happening. A guy could be prophesying and it says, let it weigh what's being said. And his wife's just going off. It wouldn't be surprising in this church. Wife's going off on him. He, she's telling him to sit down and shut up. She's being in some way unsubmissive. She is critiquing in an unhelpful, unfair way. She's taking leadership over it. Could be something like that. I think that's a possibility, but I think what it is, is it has to do with what's going on here. It says, let them weigh what is said. There is a weighing of the prophecies. Who weighs the prophecies? Everybody does. But first Timothy says that pastors are elders are to oversee the affairs of the church. So there's a specific way they are. So it's certainly possible that these ladies are inquiring in a challenging way or asserting themselves in a challenging way that weigh what is being said, verse 20. 29, that it would be certainly, now this is, I'm kind of painting out a scenario here. It could be that husband deal, or it could be that when they're weighing what is being said, that a lady in the church is giving direction. Yeah, that's God. We have to all do that. All the church needs to, listen, everybody needs to repent right now. Get on your knees, pray after me. They're acting like an elder. It could be that they're being unsubmissive because they are taking the role of leading the church. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that he does not allow a man, he does not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church, that, that the elders have authority in the church. So it could be that she is asserting herself in an elder role. That would be wrong for a male who's not an elder as well to be seeking to uh, co opt the role that is not his. So it's probably one of those. Those are unsubmissive speech. And here it says, if she wants to know something, she can ask her husband at home if there's anything she desires to learn. So probably she, someone could be saying, well, I'm just trying to learn here and inserting in some way and saying, look, let's carry that conversation out of this meeting because that doesn't reflect God's order. That's my best guess at applying that. But what I feel very confident in is that it's do not speak in an unsubmitted way, which would be to her. The only people she submitted to technically would be her husband uh, and um, the leaders of the church. You know, so that I think it has to be one of those categories is my thought. Okay, finally, Paul says, verse 36, uh, was it from you the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. What's Paul saying? Here's another proof they're not speaking scripture quality words. The word of God comes from me, Paul says. I'm an apostle. So if what you say disagrees with me, you're standing up and prophesying stuff that disagrees with me. I'm bringing the word of God as an apostle. You are not. So he's differentiating their words with his word, uh, which is God's word. He's inspired to bring it. No one else is doing that now that the scripture is complete. Uh, if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So you don't listen to Paul. We're not paying attention to you is what he's saying in Corinth. That's true in the church today. Somebody doesn't want to listen to the word of God, then they don't have a platform for speaking or leading in the church if they're not going to obey the word. Verse 39, brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Those aren't parallel statements. 
earnestly desire and don't let this other happen. So he's sort of, uh, or don't, don't forbid this other. So he's really big on prophecy in the church gathering. Um, all things should be done decently in order. Okay, how do we apply this? couple minutes and we are done. How do we apply this? I just go back to the first verse of chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The NIV says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's interesting, isn't it? This is a, a point um, to, to think about from kind of a literary standpoint. When he starts the argument in verse 1, he starts with eagerly desire gifts, especially prophecy. When he closes the argument in verse 39, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy. So he sandwiches on either side, desire this gift, which encourages and comforts and builds up the church. Desire it. And so here's a question I ask you that I've been asking myself. Do I desire to be used by God with spiritual gifts? And do I desire to prophesy? Well, he's probably just talking to, no, he's talking to everybody. He actually said, you can prophesy, all prophesy one by one. I don't think everybody has the gift. But I do think that he postures it in a way because it has such value. The gifts aren't ranked. They're all valuable. But this one has unique value in building up a lot of people in a short amount of time, comforting a lot of people in a short amount of time, uh, encouraging a lot of people in a short amount of time by the Lord putting something on someone's heart and them sharing that and then people being built up by that. So it's not enough to go through this chapter and like know the rules of engagement. Okay, I've got it. Two are at the most three in a worship service. Okay, I got it. I haven't heard two are at the most three in my lifetime, but okay. In the words, got that rule. <laughs> we can go through and just kind of look at what are the rules. But I think he, we, we do want to know what the rules are. What are the rules of engagement for loving exercise of spiritual gifts? But we also want to say, Lord, use me. And I think it's so helpful that Paul really demystifies these gifts and makes it I mean, it's amazing that the Lord would put something on someone's heart that would bless everybody else, but it's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. Somebody says something, people are built up. Somebody says something, they go on a little bit, someone else can say something now. And the Lord gives them something that builds up the church. So how do I eagerly desire? Well, here's three things, and these will be brief. You eagerly desire by being a person of the scripture. Um, we have to know the scripture by reading the scripture because this is the filter through which we evaluate prophetic words or an encouragement. Is it biblical? And the more you know the Bible, you'll be able to self-filter and you won't say, hey, I think the Lord told me this. And it's like the exact opposite of the Bible. That wasn't the Lord. But if you know the scripture, you'll have a filter to be able to respond. Number two, pray for God to use you in this way. Are you asking God to stir up spiritual gifts in your life? What are your gifts? Mercy, leadership, teaching, giving, um, gift of praying for the sick and seeing God heal people, prophecy, tongues. I don't know. What are your gifts? Whatever they are, are you asking, Lord, I don't want to plateau. I don't want to be content. You're building your church. Use me. Stir up whatever gift you've given me. That's the first prayer. The second prayer is, and Lord, in particular, you say to ask for this gift. So I'm doing it. You may be all about the gift of prophecy. You, that may be a dormant gift. You may be clueless. Well, you shouldn't be totally clueless because we just read and you know a little bit. But pray this verse, verse 1. It, God, here's my prayer. Your Bible says, earnestly desire the gifts, especially you may prophesy. That's my prayer. Pray that to the Lord. Verse 39, you say, eagerly desire to prophesy. Lord, I don't know if you'd ever have me do that, but I'm open, I'm waiting, I'm praying, I'm listening, and I'm eager. 
pray and wait and see what happens. Go to the prayer meeting. At the first service at 8 o'clock, we have a prayer meeting before the first service. And people who are gifted that way are there praying. Go and listen to someone else pray who know, who's gifted in this way. Pray with them uh, and, and see what the Lord might do. Uh, lastly, step out in faith and realize this, that our gifts are used usually in a small context before a larger context. So if someone comes and says, I think I might have the gift of administration. Really? Have you ever, how? I don't know. I've never used it, but I think I have that gift. So can I run the next major conference at the church? Cause I may have that gift. I think we'd say, uh, no, you can't run the next conference for the whole church if you've never used the gift, but they need someone to organize snacks in the community group. And if you can organize and make sure we've got brownies there every week, then that's a good sign. You've, that's a starting that you got the gift. So you use it in a small context. Someone comes up, I got a gift of teaching. Great. Have you taught? No. But could I bring the sermon next Sunday? Uh, no, you can't. But we have other venues where you could start with teaching your family or your friend or, you know, have some evaluation, teaching a children's ministry class. Let's see what God's given you. Same here. When I say we eagerly desire, I don't expect that next Sunday, 200 people are at the mic saying, we all did it and we've all got a word for the whole church. Probably not. But I do think we could pray and wait and the Lord may have something to prompt you in your community group this week. And so you listen, you pray. And as everyone's praying in the group, maybe you say, hey, I feel like the Lord laid this on my heart. I just want to toss this out there. You could be that human about it. Here's what it is. I think the Lord wants to encourage us that, I don't have a word, but he is faithful, whatever it is. And see how the Lord might use that. Ask your group leader, what did you think about that? Was that helpful, not helpful? Help me on that. I think the Lord's putting some on my heart. I want to grow and use that gift. So it starts in some kind of a small way, using our gift and seeing how the Lord and all of our gifts will use us. So as we've gone through this with five Sundays, we've studied this. So let's study and pray. And study and prayer creates desire. Then desire will lead to prompting. And prompting will lead to taking a step of faith and seeing how the Lord uses. So we've studied for five weeks now this passage, these passages. Study and pray. Prayer will lead to a desire in your heart. And the desire will prompt you to step out at some point and Open your mouth and see if the Lord, if he gives you something, see if the Lord will use that. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.